Hello and a big welcome to all of you out there who is looking or listening to this podcast. And today I have a very interesting person and I'm so keen to hear about you. A big welcome to you, Sammy Brown. And um, thank you. You are from the other side of the world. That's fantastic, <laughs> Australia. <laughs> yes, yes, over in Australia here. Yes. So please tell us a little about your life and how you get to where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. So um, uh, it's a it's a bit of a different one. I, I think that most people that work professionally with horses in any way are usually a little bit, you know, born into it or or whatever they, you know, have family that have horses and they've ridden their whole lives and I, I'm not, I don't, my my parents, my family didn't have horses, oh. couldn't afford for me to have a horse as a child, you know, despite me. I was the one random child in the family that loved horses and dreamt of horses all day long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> me, me too, and, me too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so, you know, um, I knew I loved them so desperately. And, you know, my mum had a, my mum's best friend had two horses. And so every school holidays, I'd go and stay with them and, ride around bareback on their horses in the paddock but it was definitely definitely you know we we sort of would fluff around with them but it was definitely not really much experience um but it was enough for me to know that I really really loved them and it's all I ever wanted um and you know mum and dad they'd send me off to a, a trail ride every now and then I don't know if you guys have trail riding centers or anything but we you know it, it was enough to sort of hop on and go for a ride along the beach or in the bush or whatever but definitely no formal training or anything like that um just the best that mum and dad could do with the resources they had when I was a kid um until I got to year 10 so it's sort of later in high school um and high school secondary school over here it's it's sort of they they just give you a week off school to go and work in the industry that you think you'd like to work in and mum drove past an equestrian centre every day on the way to work. Um, so she was like, well, why don't we just go in there and see if they can give you a week work? So I was like, okay, cool. So we went in and I did my week of work experience there. And um, they offered for me to just do a, a weekend, like a Saturday day job there, um, just cleaning some stables and doing tack up for the kids. So they had a they were running a riding school there. Um, they had like adjustment. I don't know if you call it adjustment where you guys are like livery. So people paid to keep their horses either in stables or paddocks there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so it was a very busy, big indoor arena, outdoor arena, really, really beautiful place. Very well run. Um, and I stayed there for about six or seven years after that. So I worked there part-time all the way through um, until I finished school. And I also did um what we have here is called a certificate two in equine studies. So it's just a really base entry level um, education that you do in addition to your normal schooling. Um, And that works, that works in conjunction with year 11 and 12. Um, So I did that and all of that was based through there as well. So I was very heavily involved with that equestrian center. And then when I finished year 12, all I knew was that I just wanted to work with horses full time. I didn't really care what I was doing. I just wanted to yeah, be just wanted to anyway. be. <laughs> yeah. Um, and my boss at the time, Julia, um, who owns that equestrian center, so that place is called Balmoral Equestrian Center. She um 
she said, well, just come and work for me. You can be a working pupil, you know, so I do stables. Um, by that time, we had spoken about me getting my coaching accredita accreditation. Um, and I was, I, was a, I was sort of strapping for her. So they imported four stallions from Europe. So she was riding them every day as well as other training horses. So she needed someone to just be like tacking up, untacking, bandaging, washing and all the rest of it so she could get through all the horses she needed ridden. Um, and I was like, yes, yeah. <laughs> amazing. That's exactly what I wanted to do. So I kind of slotted straight into full-time work after I'd finished school with her. Um, and that's what I was doing, stables, riding, coaching. Um, I had my own horse by that time. So I got my first horse when I was about 16 and a half, spent the money I was meant to be buying my first car with. I didn't want a car, I wanted a horse. Yeah. <laughs> and um <laughs> And uh, and off we went. And so I worked really, really hard. Um, now, thankfully, like when we first looked for somewhere for me to do my work experience and all that kind of stuff, we, my parents and I had no idea about anything about the horse industry, but we were just lucky that we woke, walked into a place that, um, you know, Julia Badham's um, shortly after I finished working for her went on to be the, Australian Olympic dressage and para dressage coach um, for Australia. So she went on to do two lots of um, Olympics as the Australian coach for those sports. Um, so as far as working for someone very knowledgeable, she is right up there um, with the best of the best. And she, it was literally just whatever I put in, I got out. I had the most incredible opportunities working for Julia. She the things that she allowed me to do, trusted me to do, you know, I, um, I had to retire my horse a couple of years later. He had arthritis amongst other issues and kind of ended up being a little bit stuck. I didn't have anything to ride. Um, and so she let me ride her retired Grand Prix gelding, which was just mind blowing. Yeah. <laughs> you know I, I can imagine. <laughs> wow. I, and it's funny because at the time um, before I sat on that horse, I kind of thought I was doing well with my riding. You know, mm. I like I had, I just had a, a little thoroughbred. Um, and prior to retiring him, you know, we were going out, we're doing pony club stuff, and you know, he did some laterals, and we could get a little walk to canter and some things. You know, it's yeah. super basic, but I mm. felt like my riding had really progressed and I was doing well. And then I got on this gelding, and it's like. I could mm. not get him to do anything. No, <laughs> I know. He didn't do anything wrong. He just wouldn't do anything. You know, so I had a very hard six-month reality check of learning how to ride all over again because I realised I didn't know how to use my seat, you know, and mm. I'd, mm. I'd get him to, I'd ask him to trot and he'd trot and that was fine. Um, but getting him to canter, He'd just like, you know, and I'd do sitting trot and I'd put my outside leg behind the girth and I was trying so hard, but my seat didn't know what to do. And so he just wouldn't care. He'd just go extended trot in whichever direction he was facing. Yes. And off we went. It, took, it took so long. And then when I finally did get him to get into canter, we'd be doing one-time changes on the circle because I could not keep him on the same lead because my seat was just like a washing machine. You know, I was yeah. all over the place. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 
all that time, all I'd ever wanted to do was flying changes. You know, it's it's the one thing where you just can't wait. Mm-hmm. And then all I wanted that damn thing to do was stop doing flying changes. <laughs> I'm just can't <laughs> normally I'm the one lead. Um, I've been through that also. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know, and and I remember I I'd get off that horse in tears nearly every day because mm-hmm. it was hard and it wasn't working and I couldn't like. I just none of and you know and and I remember Julia pep talking me pep talk mm. like it's okay it's gonna come like you need to work this out we like you know and she was teaching me through it and it was fine and we were progressing but it was really hard it was harder than anything I'd ever done before yeah um mentally you know um and she, I remember her saying to me we're gonna we're gonna do flying changes once you can keep this horse on the same lead then we do the flying changes lesson because she knew that that's just what I so badly wanted to do um mm. you know and I and I got it I got there in the end like I said it was six months of hard work of like you know at that point I was having five lessons a week um I was very very lucky I was on a really good wicket with her you know I worked really hard but I was rewarded equally as well and Five lessons a week, you you do learn and you do get it eventually. Yes. <laughs> and, um, yes. And, you know, by the end, you know, we were doing four, three, twos and ones, times changes. You know, we were doing half past, like all the laterals, all the cool stuff, PR and passage, like mm. we did it all. And it's, it's, you know, and I remember Julia saying, you know, the, a horse like this will teach you things that a coach can never teach you. Mm, you know, that is right. feel, that is learning to engage yeah. your seat, like until mm. you sit on horses like this. Um you know, you, you kind of never learn it. And I'm, we will be forever grateful to everything she did for me and the opportunities that she gave me. So, um, and so, yeah, I was sort of riding him. And by the time I was doing that, I had a couple of, like, she used to have horses that would come into the place um, to be ridden, to be sold or for further training or whatever. So quite often um, if she wasn't riding them, I was, or some of the other girls, there was a couple of us that worked there. So I was having the opportunity to ride really, really nice horses. Um, And I was kind of going, oh, if I keep working, you know, it was working pupil rates, it was quite a low wage. I'm never going to be able to afford to buy these kind of horses you know I'm gonna it's always gonna be someone else's Mm -hmm. someone else's really nice horse that I'm riding I'm not am I ever gonna buy one of my own Mm. and a house and the car and the float and be out competing you know we're talking about very expensive sport especially in Australia Australia um equestrian is extremely expensive it's Mm. it's hard to make a good career out of where it pays well enough to be supporting that kind of lifestyle you know so I was like okay you know, maybe I need to go and get a real job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a job, you know, a job where I can hopefully earn very good money and support mm. that just as a lifestyle and that stays as a hobby. No, don't do this as a career. Um, yeah. So I sort of went to Julia and had a big conversation with her about it and I was scared. You know, she had put so much time and effort into me and I just felt terrible going yeah. to her and saying, I don't think I'm going to do this. Mm. And that day, like I was really upset too because I actually loved what I was doing. It was a really hard decision to try and decide and and make what I was going to do from there. Um, thankfully, I had extremely, extremely supportive parents um, that were kind of like, it's fine, you need to do what you love, but if you want to leave, do something else, earn like it's fine. I could stay living at home as long as I needed to and all that So. 
was very supported from home and family life, which is a blessing as well. A lot of people don't have that. Um, so I went and spoke to Julia and I just said, look, this is, this is kind of where I'm at. I don't know what to do. And she said, that's okay. She said, you, you do it one way or the other with this industry. You either go and find a job that you earn enough money to have it as a lifestyle on the side or you work in it forever earning not very well and you ride everybody else's nice horses, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes opportunities will come up where, you you know, you get to ride someone else's horses and it's it's your horse to ride and compete or whatever. But whatever, whichever way you decide to do it is completely fine and that's okay and we're fine. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. I'll see you around kind of thing. And, you know, she was amazing. It was, it was incredible. I was so lucky, you know. So I did. I went and I went and got an administration job. So I did what they call a traineeship in Australia. So it's like you get experience on the job, um, similar to like if you do a trade or something, but doing administration. Mm-hmm. So I did that for a couple of years and I hated it. <laughs> Working yes. in an office was not for me. Um, so, I, but while I was working in an office job, it was secure income. So I was doing that and I went back to coaching as well. So I was working nine to five in an office Monday to Friday. And then I would go, I would finish at five o'clock and then I would go on and then I'd coach for three or four hours after work, five days a week. And then all day on a Saturday too. So I was almost working two full-time jobs. Yeah. Um, and I did that for for a solid amount of time because I was scared to leave my admin job it's really scary deciding to go out on your own and go self-employed um but I did have a very supportive family at home like I said and um, my dad had been self-employed and owned his own businesses nearly our whole lives um and he just said I just was kind of at a crossroads I was like do I leave work like do I leave the admin job and then try and get by on like you know, the horsework wasn't quite enough money without the admin job. And my dad just said to me, he said, well, unless you make more room for more clients, it's never going to be enough. Of course it's not. He said, but you're at capacity. You can't, you don't have any more hours in your day to take on any more lesson clients. You know, you might be able to pick up some training horses or something like that if you've got more hours to give, but while you're staying at this admin job, you're going to be stuck. You're going to have to, you, you've either got to stay there or give it away, but you're, while you, you stay there, you're stuck and you can't grow your business anymore. So leave the admin job. It's like, okay. <laughs> it was scary. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think at that time I was um, probably 23 or 20. Yeah. I would have been 23 at the time. So it was like, okay, going to do this. So I left the admin job and I ended up working quite a lot at a, at a at one particular property, I was teaching nearly every agisti on the place. So nearly every person that had a horse at this particular place, I was teaching all of them. I had a few horses in work there and the owner of the place there, they were just leasing the property, like renting it. So they didn't own the property. They just paid the owner to live mm-hmm. there and run the business there. Um and she just came to me one day. She was having problems with someone that was adjusting there. And she's like, I need an outsider's perspective. So we spoke about that. And I was like, no, you're in the right. Like, I think you need to stand your ground with that. She's like, I think I've had enough. I think I'm just going to get out of here. I think I'm just going to tell the owner that we don't want to lease the place anymore and they can put it back up for rent. Now, at this time, I was still, I'd left the admin job, but financially I was really struggling. Like I was, you know, <laughs> it was a very tough time for me. 
And she's like, yeah, I think I'm going to get out. And I was like, well, I'll take it over. <laughs> yeah, I, had I will. No money me. I'm like, I'll just put my foot in it. I had no money behind me. I was so, so behind. I said, I'll take over. I'll take over the lease. I'll, I'll run a business here. And she's like, oh, would you? And I was like, yeah, sure. I'm like, you know, winging it, like just hoping that <laughs> it's all going to be fine. And she's like, all right, well, so she decided to go home and talk to her husband. They decided to go through with it. And then she said to me, oh, well, we just want to sell the assets as part of the handover. So I was like, yeah, cool, I'll buy them. I had no money. I, I didn't even know how I was going to work that out. But they wanted to yeah. sell the quad bike and the arena grader. And these were all things I was going to need to run an adjustment there anyway. Mm-hmm. So I went home back to my dad because my dad always helped me <laughs> do that. And I just said, I'll put my foot in it, dad. Like, you know. I need $15,000 and I'm taking over the lease on a property and I don't have $15,000 and I don't know what I'm doing. He's like, that's okay. Let's work it out. I guess we better go and find some investors. Yeah. So thank goodness for my dad, you know, cause he was busy. I'm just some horse girl. He's the businessman. <laughs> he, uh, we spoke to some family and they invested in me and my business. And my dad came in as a director on the business just so he could help manage the business side of the business wow and we hit the ground running we started an equestrian center so we kept the adjustment running and um I decided I'd always wanted to run my own riding school you know I'd coached I'd coached so much and I knew that you know Julia had her riding school that I'd worked at for so long but where the um property that we were taking over it was far enough away that I wasn't going to be a threat to their riding school, which I never, I never would have opened something up nearby, but we were far enough away. And I spoke to her and she's like, no, do it. Like there's yeah. enough work for everyone. And especially That's a big need. Yeah. <laughs> need. Huge, yeah. you know, and especially we were quite close to Melbourne. So I don't know if you know Australia very well, but I'm in Victoria. Yeah. Melbourne is, is the main city here. And, you know, we were like, 35 minutes drive out from the middle of the CBD, which is wow. so close. Yes. Like yeah. everything's quite spread out in Australia and inner yeah. city suburbs, there's no horses anywhere. So we were in a really, really amazing position um, to open a riding school there. And Julia was like, do it. Like, absolutely do it. That's fantastic. Blah, blah, blah. So we just started randomly getting some school horses together and it was just me when I started like I was just coaching I had a handful of school horses and, and we just kind of did it like that and dad was still running two other businesses so he was there just a little bit and then um it started to get busy so I, I employed a girl that was just there to kind of help get the horses ready so I could start coaching back to back because when I started I'd like get a horse in saddle it unsaddle it saddle up the next so I was like I wasn't mm. coaching the whole time I was like this yeah. would be better if I just had someone to do the in-between stuff so I could just coach back to back so that's yeah. what I did I needed a girl to do that and and I also kind of got her coaching a little bit as well and then we're ending up with more school horses and more work and it just went back so this was in two, so we opened on the 1st of May 2015 mm-hmm. um and it grew extremely quickly. So we, it, it grew kind of quicker than we could keep up. Um, I was like, oh, I need more staff. Oh, I need more horses. Oh, we need more staff. Oh, I don't have enough hours in the day. Oh, my God, we need more staff. Oh, my God. Like, you know, so it was this constant, like, bring in more people, bring in more horses. Like, yeah. you know, and, and 
all through that. Um, so I started um, bringing on more people to coach because by then I was like, there's too much work, even for me and my first employee, you know, it was, it was just expanding. People were ringing, people wanted lessons, people had heard how good it was, this, that, and the other. People were coming across from other riding schools by that stage because their friends had told them and blah, blah, blah. Um, and, you know, we just we just ran things differently. A lot of riding schools here, you know, the kids will do a couple of private lessons on the lunge just so they don't fall off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, throw them they just throw them in group lessons and they rely on the ponies just following each other around the track of the arena and then, so then we'd get kids that had come across and they go, yeah, yeah, I can walk, trot and canter. And I'm like, by yourself? Yep. Without holding on? Yep. But their version of that was like, there's three ponies cantering in front of them. Their pony just goes when the one in front goes and they just hang on to the front of the saddle. Yeah. So I was like, oh, <laughs> this is terrifying. No, like I'm not relying on, no, absolutely not. And like our ponies and horses that we had were awesome. Like, they weren't dead to the leg. They did exactly what they were told. Um, and, you know, they were quiet and they were always slightly on the lazy side. But if you picked up a whip and you rode properly, they'd go. So, you know, and they we'd regularly tune them up so that they were on the A's and they were doing everything properly. And so then there was always a hard conversation with the parent because, you know, this child has been riding for two years in a riding school and they think that they're doing really well. And I'm like, I'm really sorry, but your child has to come back into privates with us for a while. And it mm. won't be long. Like, we'll fix it. But there's things that we have to fix. You know, our quality of riding here, for our riders to be able to go into a group, they had to be able to walk, trot and canter with independent hands, be able to ride an accurate 20-metre circle, you know, like super basic, mm. but they need mm. to be able to do those things. Um mm. And until they could, they stayed in privates or a semi-private. Um, and then we'd proceed to groups. And our groups never had more than four riders, which most riding schools, they have six or eight in a group. And it's just uh, like, I 10 just or 15. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I don't understand how you can provide quality instruction to that many riders at once. You can't. You're just traffic mm. control by that stage. Mm. <laughs> so, that's right. Um, yeah, so that's what we did. And, and all my coaches, you know, we had weekly coach training and they, I, I had a writing syllabus. So this is what you teach. This is the order that you teach it in. They must have these, these skills established before they go on to the next thing. Every single coach made notes of exactly what the writer did every single lesson. So if some, if a coach was away and someone had to step in, you're not relying on the rider's feedback of where they're at. You're relying on a coach's feedback of where they're at so that mm. you can just have any coach slot in and it be as good as the lesson before, despite the coach not actually knowing the rider and stuff like that. So we had a number of things in place that no other riding school was doing um, and it worked. You know, we had an outdoor, we didn't even have an indoor arena. We had an outdoor arena and I don't know if you know much about the weather in Melbourne, but the, 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 yeah. in Victoria in Australia but the yeah, the running a lot of rain. Have, yeah a lot of yeah. rain and you yeah. know four seasons in one day is is the running joke it'll go from 40 degrees to 13 in rain within yes. an hour like yeah so, um, you know we were managing with an outdoor arena um but people didn't care they were coming because they just knew that we were better and we were doing it better and if you want mm. to be able to ride to a ride to a point where you can go and then buy your own horse mm. we were the riding school to come to um, so we were very much on the up by the time. So 2017, we, 
I had about 16 staff and, and 50 horses between adjusted horses wow. and school horses. So it was all happening, yes. <laughs> um, and then so by that time my dad was like, oh, I need to be with you full time. You know, like by that time I, I was a run off my feet managing a team of 16 people and all those horses and all that was happening. So dad was trying to sell one of his businesses so he could come on full time with me. Um, and unfortunately he got really sick in the middle of, 2017 um so we we're two years in and and in the biggest growth year that we'd had so far and he got sick he got sick very very quickly um and unfortunately six weeks after he got sick he died so um oh, it was like wow. a very yeah it was awful um so it was a massive shock we have a really really close family um I have an older brother my mum and dad still very happily married um and yeah, so he died. It was really unexpected. You know, when he was sick, they thought he was going to be, he was diagnosed with cancer, but the, his death actually came apart as a result of um, complications through a surgery. So it was really unexpected. Um, and I really, I really felt like someone just pulled the rug out from underneath me. I, mm. I just was like, what the hell am I going to do? You know, dad mm. did all the business stuff. So he handled all of our money, paying wages, like, you know, dealing dealing with like all of our bills and everything. Like I didn't have to worry about any of that. He was doing all that. I just had to do horse mm. and and people, you know. Um, and then all of a sudden I had to do it all. Um, and I had to learn really, really quickly as well as grieving the death of my father. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. it was um, I don't wish it upon anyone. Um, and to be honest, I just buried myself in work. I didn't really grieve. I didn't have time to. My team of staff were the most incredible team of staff you could ever imagine at that time. And it was really hard on them too. You know, we closed for a couple of days because um, they were all really upset too. You know, dad was there pretty much full time by then. And a number of the people that were working for us were people that I had been friends with for 10 or 15 years. So they had known dad a really long time. You know, yeah. one of the girls that was working in my office had been my best friend for 20 years, you know. So mm. we're talking about like it was way more than just relationships, like work relationships. We had yeah. personal relationships that were really deep. So um, dad's death rocked us really, really hard. And um, uh, we were just totally unprepared for something so drastic like mm. that to happen. But, um, and, you know, and, and my mum come and spoke to me and she said, you know, if you just want to shut it down, like it's, we can like you know and that's okay and I sort of turned to mum and said are you serious dad would mm. kill us like yes. be, he'd be up there yeah. very very angry yeah. at how much effort he put in for me to throw this away now like heck no I'm not gonna do that I'm gonna be like he's he'll, he'll come back to haunt me <laughs> yeah yeah um so you know we kept going and it continued to be our biggest growth year yet and we were kind of at capacity by the end of that year and we kept going and um so by the time we were sort of at capacity we, we couldn't really grow any more than that because the property was only so big we couldn't yeah. take on any more horses than mm. than what we had um even so, that property was probably still too big for that uh, sorry too small for that many horses but we were managing with you know round bales of hay and a bit of stabling and and whatever mm. else you can do to make best use of the land that you're on um yeah. And so, yeah, and we upgraded facilities, you know, when we moved in, the, 
you know, the tie-up yards and stuff that we had were awful. The arena needed to be bigger. So we did a lot of that stuff later in 2017 and made the property a lot better. Um, so, yeah, at its biggest point, we had 250 riders a week coming through, um, which is just it's just huge for here. Yeah, you know, it's not, it is. Australia, Australia is a bit of a funny place with equestrian. Like, it, it's not like it is overseas. So, um, yeah, we... We were big and it was definitely thriving. Um, but then in 2019, the owner contacted me and said that they were going to sell the property. And I was like, oh, <laughs> this is a problem. I'd had a baby in 2018. So my my partner at the time, you know, I gave birth to a little girl and um, that was amazing. It was really, it really helped me. I'd wanted a baby for a long time and um. So that really helped me with my grief and stuff of my dad and stuff. It's funny how new life can kind of mm-hmm. change things. Um, and I worked really hard all through my pregnancy and, you know, I gave birth and kept running, you know, like it was like there's no stopping yeah. when it's your own, you know. But yeah. thankfully my mum was there a lot, um, you know, so she was kind of helping me look after her. And, again, my staff were just amazing. They just We just all worked it out and, and on we went. Um, and then, yeah, so in 2019 they – Came to us and said they were selling the property for like six million dollars, which we just didn't <gasps> have, you know. Yeah. So like <laughs> the problem is is where where that property is located, like I said, 35 minutes out of Melbourne, it's property yeah. investor, like well, sorry, property developer would just come in and 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 pick it up and subdivide it and put houses on it and sell it for a lot more money. So um Yes, we didn't have $6 million to buy it, unfortunately, or the deposit to try and get finance to buy it or anything like that. So I was like, oh, goodness. And so by then I'd just fallen pregnant with my second. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I think, you know, we we tried to lo- relocate. So we originally I sold off a lot of stuff. I got rid of, rid of a lot of the horses and I found another property to relocate to, but it was a brand new area. Like it was nowhere near where we were. So I was essentially starting again. So we relocated for a little while, but there was just not enough business and stuff there. So I decided to shut it down before I ended up bankrupt. Like it was like I was heading into pretty bad financial territory at the time. Just I had to make a decision before I ended up in really big trouble. Um, so I decided to shut it all down. I sold my core team of school horses, which, is, which were just the most amazing school horses the the school horses that every riding school needs that they're incredible um along with everything my quad bike I set a show jumps like you know a a massive package of stuff to a um riding school that was kind of just opening up it was everything that they needed It, it worked out perfectly for myself and for them so I sold all of that and at the same time I was separating from the father of my children well I was still pregnant with our second um so we were separating we separated, stole everything, and I moved home to my mum's. Um, and I decided that I was just going to stop for a while. I was just going to be a mum. I was in the mm. second half of my pregnancy, and I just needed to have a break. I kept two of my horses, so I had um, I'd kept um, my what is now still my riding horse. He wasn't broken in at the time; it was still a young horse then. Um, and I'd kept a pony for the kids. Everything else was sold. Um, and so I brought, put them on adjustment nearby and I moved home to my mum's and decided to have a break. And so did that, um, 
And in the meantime, reconnected with my now husband. So we had been best friends when we were 16. Um, and so we kind of reconnected while I was still pregnant and we got together. Um, yeah. So, um, yes, my, my now husband and I had gotten together um, and I, I wasn't really working at the time. I was just having a break from working, just had my riding horse who wasn't broken in at the time. So just spending a bit of time with him and just honestly having some downtime. I'd worked so hard for the previous five, six years. It was really everything I needed. And I was in the second half of my pregnancy. So just spending some quality time with my little girl who was 18 months at the time. Um, and yeah, so we were just doing that. And then I had my second baby. And when he was about six weeks old, I got a phone call from a riding school who was calling to just do a reference check on one of the girls that used to coach for me um, when we were at, when I, from when I had my riding school. Mm-hmm. Um, and somehow I hung up from that conversation and both myself and Scarlett, the girl that worked for me, we both ended up with a job at this riding school. <laughs> somhow. <laughs> Because, you know, they they were struggling. They were struggling a bit with staff. And this riding school was actually quite local to where our riding school was. I'd heard about them and they just desperately needed staff. And I was like, all right, well, I'll do one day a week for you. My baby's six weeks old. Like, I really shouldn't be going back to work yet. Like, you know, um, Mm. but I can do one day. And somehow that one day turned into four because I'm... (laughs) Yeah. Four days away for them. Um, you know, and, and, and doing way more for them than I kind of had planned. You know, they, they needed school horses or school, sourcing school horses for them and doing a bunch of things. But, you know, it, I decided not to stay there because there's just a couple of things. I just wasn't really happy there. It's hard going from working for yourself where you can make the decisions and stuff to go back to working for someone else, um, you know, it's just another one of those scenarios where writing schools in Australia, the quality just isn't there. And I could only fix so much when it's not my business, mm-hmm. you know? And so then I would be just a bit frustrated, you know, I wasn't a hundred percent happy with maybe some of the things that they were doing, not to say that they're a bad writing school, but no. when you're not the decision maker, you have to just do what, what the boss says sort of thing. Mm. Um, and so I just felt like we didn't really 100% align anymore. Um, so I decided to leave. And then I did work for another riding school for a little while after that. And it was just the same problem. And by the time I'd worked at two of them, I was just like, this is just isn't going to work unless I'm doing it for myself again. Um in the midst of all that time, we'd bought a, so the little pony that I kept for the kids, and she was tiny, like a very, very little pony because my mm. children were very young at the time. She unfortunately passed away um, unexpectedly. So by then I only really had my own riding horse and um, my, but so we decided to buy a pony for our kids because my now husband has a daughter as well who's a little bit older than mine she really likes horses and stuff so we decided we'd get them a pony and I'd teach them how to ride and stuff so this pony that we bought is like he's what we'd call a unicorn you know he's so special and he's incredible to teach the kids on you know he's the he's he can do all of their firsts but then if you've got a kid that can ride and is really good he can adjust and he does everything for them too he can hold a contact he can do all these laterals all of that so 
very lucky. So we bought him and, you know, he was 23 when we bought him, but I didn't care. He was just everything the kids needed. And so I finished up at the riding school and I decided just to go out on my own and I just offer some lessons on, on our pony Raffi. Um, and that's what I did. And that's what I'm still doing. I now work four days a week. He does lessons over those four days. Um, I have, so I have a bunch of clients that come through that don't have their own horse and they just ride him. And I've got another horse that I can use for adults and she's just beautiful as well. So she's a big 17-2 warm blood mare who you can, it's exactly the same, you know, you can put a beginner on her that's never ridden before and she just plods along and she's fantastic. But then she's really educated. She can do everything. She's an imported show jumper mare that was just sitting in a paddock doing nothing. So we're very lucky to kind of nab her and be able to use her. And so between the two of them, and then I have a bunch of clients as well that have their own horses, I am really busy, um, you know, and I still, all my, everything that I do is exactly the same, you know. Um, we just, I just keep doing what I'm doing and keep teaching riders at a level that they deserve to learn to ride properly, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's that's pretty much it, really, and that's where I'm at now. So I just keep teaching and try to juggle that between being a mum and a wife and running a house and having my own riding horse and, <laughs> you know, doing everything. But finally, you know, and eventually we'll get our own property again and I will run a riding school again. I'll do it a bit differently. The last time I won't let it get as big, we'll run a boutique operation that is sort of maybe just me and potentially maybe one other coach. But right now I'm happy doing what I'm doing and it works out really well. So, yeah. Yeah. So maybe it will grow again and be yeah. big again. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't want it too big yeah. again, though. Lots of headaches that come you, when a business gets to that, that You size. say so now, but you just wait. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> I know. And I don't like to let people down, you know. I want everybody to experience mm. the joy, yeah. you know, of, of horses. Isn't that what it's all about, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. Where are you located now then? Is it also so near? Um, so I'm nowhere near the city anymore, really. We're, okay. we're um, on a place called the Mornington Peninsula, um, specifically the suburb that I run out of is Dramana. Um, so we're about, like, it, it's a bit over an hour out of Melbourne now. But, you okay. know, there's freeways and stuff. It's very accessible. Um And it's a really nice part of the world to live in. It's beautiful down here. We're mm. very, very lucky to be on the on the peninsula down here. Um, it's stunning. That so is I'm worth a lot to to live yeah. on a yeah. on a great place. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's really beautiful down here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, if people want to get in touch with you, where where can they find you? Do you have a homepage or? something like that I just I just run a Facebook page now like I don't even have a website you know I'm really really busy so I don't I don't really try and drive a lot of traffic but I I, you know I always make space for people if they want to if they want to do something so we've just got a Facebook page which is called Encore Equestrian so it's E-N-C-O-R-E Encore Equestrian um you'll find us on there I I don't post a lot I'm too busy really. <laughs> yeah. but it is an active page and we, we you know I try to remember to post things on there sporadically you know you'll see photos of our famous Raffi the wonder pony because he's just 
you know, I can't even describe to you how incredible he is. He's very, very special. Mm. You know, my when my daughter was two, she was trotting around on him by herself. Like, <laughs> there's not many puppies that will do that, you know. <laughs> um, and and honestly, you know, like he turns when she says turn and she's two, you know. <laughs> so it's, you know, yeah, very, very lucky to have to have gotten him. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. But uh, I love your story. It's it's just uh, the way, as you said, when you are a, a Christian person, you don't have time for internet and all that. But <laughs> so that is that is the thing. Yeah. But that's a fantastic story, I think, and uh, I wish you a. Big luck with your future. I'm sure when your uh, children gets older, you would aim for more. I'm sure about that yeah, because absolutely. when when you once had it, you want it again somehow. Oh, so good. Uh, we live in a normal house again at the moment, and I just my husband and I are both hanging to just have have everything at home again. Be back on yeah. property, horses at home. Yeah, you know, mm. all that. Cannot wait. You know, it's 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 a good couple of years away yet, but you know, you just have to keep working at it, don't you? Yes, absolutely. And and suddenly, as as you said, you got lucky. I heard that a yeah. lot of times. You got lucky. Yeah. You got lucky. Yeah. I'm sure you would get lucky again somehow. Of course, it, of course, it will come. Yeah, yeah. That's totally. great. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much for your story. I just love it. And uh, yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you for all of the listeners and and um, people out there. So please subscribe if you want more of this. And um, maybe we see you again next week. So thank you very much for coming. It has been a pleasure. Thank you so much.